0: Hey, give somebody a fist bump next to you and say, you look good. You smell good. Yeah. Looking good today. All right. Well, hey, everybody. I know that all, you, all of you care about this as much as me, but this is the last, we just went through the last weekend without college football, and it's, it's back. Come on. Yes. So one time we had somebody write a review of our church or something and write in on Facebook or whatever. They said, I'm leaving this church because the pastor talks about football too much. So I said, please stay, please come back. You know, no, no, we didn't say that at all. <laughs> I'm just having fun. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about what really matters, but I am excited about the Oregon Ducks football coming back in a couple weeks. And uh, there's, there's some real football games. How many of you know when like a, something you really love comes back, like, like for me, college football is a, a, something I really like to watch, not to participate in. I don't want to die, but to, uh, but to watch um, like the early, the first game of the season, I'll watch anybody play. They're like, it's the Northern Minnesota acapella boys choir <laughs> versus the intramural junior varsity uh, you know, volleyball team that started a football. I mean, like, it doesn't matter. And you're like, yes, I'm excited about it. Excited. And that's how we should feel about church every Sunday, right? It's like, uh, man, is it Sunday again? Oh my gosh, I can't wait to get there, right? Because there's something about being in the atmosphere where the thing is happening, where the thing is going on, where the church is going on. You know, we live in a, in a time and a, and a season. Uh, that's a very religious way to say it, but we live in a time. And a, and a space and a season where church isn't really like on vogue. It's not in vogue. It's not, it's not like the, the, the it thing, right? Church is kind of on the down and outs uh, when it comes to our culture. A lot of people are, uh, have a lot of mentalities and ideas about what the church is. Uh, a lot of people think that the church, or even specifically going to church, is an irrelevant thing to do. Even a lot of Christians right now are kind of down on the church and saying, ah, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian, you know, and all this kind of stuff. How many of you have interacted with some of this mindset? It's out there, and and I think we're all affected and impacted by it. But I I just want to say, you know, we've had political solutions and military solutions. We've had educational solutions. We've had uh, priests and uh, powerful politicians and presidents and prime ministers and parliaments. Anything else? Start with P. Help me out. It's like a Dr. Seuss book. We've had uh, philosophies. We've had all kinds of things throughout history trying to deal with the problem, trying to deal with what's going on in our world, and yet none of those things have actually been the solution up to this point, and I'm sorry to say they won't be the solution in the future, because what's actually wrong with the world will not be solved by the people that actually broke the world. It'll be solved by something outside of the world, which is God coming back and bringing his kingdom to bear and, and, and opening up his kingdom here on earth, and so the church is not just a social club or an institution that has a limited shelf life, that was relevant for a period of time in history where everybody went to church. No, the church is the community of people that have put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. The church is the called out ones. The church is the the vehicle by which God is going to bring hope and help and healing to the world. And so it still matters, whether it's popular in vogue or not, it still matters. And you and I are the church. And I'm not just talking about joy church. We are one aspect, one local expression of the church, but I'm talking about the church Big C. I mean, we've got a great church community here in the city of Eugene and, and Springfield in this area, We, but we're also talking about the global church, all the people that are are part of this thing that we call the Christian faith that have fully engaged with Christ and his mission for the world. And the church is as relevant today as it was, was 2,000 years ago when Jesus began it. And he said to his disciples, hey, listen, a lot of people are going to have all kinds of ideas about how to fix the world but listen, until I become Lord and King and all the nations of the world come and bow their knees, like uh, th- there's not going to be real hope. So the church is ushering in the kingdom of God. Come on, this is the vehicle. This thing that we're doing even here today, it still matters and it's still relevant today. And, uh, and so, yeah, I'm excited about it. More excited even so than college football. Come on, are you excited with me to be a part of what God wants to do? It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, how many of you like those kind of sports movies where it's the underdog team, like Facing the Giants or like Little Giants? Remember those movies, Angels in the Outfield? Come on. I got a tetanus shot yesterday, and so I can't really do that. I got one wing, you know what I mean? Just flying in circles. That's really funny. You did, so you're not giving me the love for that. But Bethany and I both are both happy to say we're both up to date in our tetanus uh, immunizations now from the Skate World Project, so... <laughs> David Walters attacked me yesterday with an air duct. No, I'm kidding. We, we were unloading stuff, and, it, and I got scraped. It was actually embarrassing. I had to explain myself to the pharmacist at Walmart, the finest providers of medical care in the world today. Um, <laughs> they're like, we don't take that insurance. You don't take McDonald's insurance? Come on. Anyways man, I'm on fire, you guys. This is great. I'm like, look, I'm only here because I have the most minuscule scrape, but I don't want to take a risk. He's like, that's good. That's, that's smart. So anyways, where was I? Yeah, those old kind of sports movies uh, where the underdogs, right? Where you bring together all these misfits and the little kids and the, the kid with the, the bottle you know, cap glasses and uh, all this kind of stuff. And then they, they have victory, right? And that's what God is doing with the church because he's bringing a bunch of ragtags. That's you and I. Misfits, people that were broken, people that didn't get it figured out, that weren't smart enough or good enough or righteous enough in their own strength to really get, get life right. He brought us all together and said, Hey, I'm going to invite you into eternal life. I'm going to invite you into my family, give you a seat at the table, and you're going to change the world. You're going to do something amazing when you put your effort and your energy together and you serve me. And it's a beautiful thing. So, come on, I'm excited about us. I'm excited about the church. I'm excited about what makes this thing that we're doing today different than any other thing that's going on in the world today. So, Come on. Let's go. Let's go. I'm preaching today. I'm ready. I'm ready. And I'm also excited because this is second service and afterwards we get to go get something good to eat. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Fat kids get excited in church. Come on. Woo. I'm actually, uh, uh, dancing like that was a little painful because we played laser tag on Friday night. Bethany and I did and we were just dominant out there. It was incredible. People said video games weren't going to pay off for me. They did. I'll tell you right now. High score player. Come on. Tom knows what I mean. Playing Halo. Yeah, now we're elite on the laser tag. <laughs> but we, uh, we played laser tag on Friday night. And then yesterday was down at our new building at Joy Church, which my goodness, go down there and volunteer this week because it is absolutely insanely awesome how cool our new building is. And it looks completely different right now. But if you can get down there for a couple hours to serve this week, like you're going to be blown away. It's just beautiful. It's incredible. I'm excited. Um, very excited about what God's going to do with that but we were down there and uh doing some you know working at the building for a couple hours and then we went home and we were doing some home projects in the garage and and so i woke up this morning and i felt like i was made of you know brick or something i couldn't move you know it was very stiff and i and you say that's why you have to exercise pastor you actually need to stretch not just your jaw to fit food in <laughs> but actually exercise but we're here to talk about the church today we're here to talk about the mission of Jesus, the community of Jesus. And I have a message to share with you called Cannibals, Crowds in the Cross. Cannibals, yes, those kind of cannibals. I'm talking about eating people. How many of you like freaky stuff like that? <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> yeah. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, my grandma, she came from uh, California and she'd drive up to Medford to visit. And I was the one grandchild. So I was spoiled. They'd bring me a tin of cookies and I always had little outfits, and until my evil sister was born when I was three years old, I was the the one and only, the chosen one, the golden child. And my dad called me Little Lord Fauntleroy. He still calls me that sometimes, even though I'm bigger and I can beat him up now, but he still still calls me that. And uh, my grandma would come from California to visit me, and she used to wear these mink, really nice mink coats, mink fur coats. I think it's illegal to wear those now because people are too upset. But anyways, at the time, she had the mink coat and I would luxuriate in the mink coat, eat my cookies and uh, really enjoy my favorite position as number one grandchild. But my grandma, when I would go on trips with her, she, because she was always doing these cross country long trips, she was at the time would get on tape cassette, books on tape, right? Like audio books, come on, tape cassettes. Anybody, raise your hand if you have bought a tape cassette in your life, you're cool, you're in, you're in the in crowd. She would get on tape cassette and then eventually CDs, books on tape, And one of the books that she got that she exposed me to and I got to listen to was a story called Alive. How many of you remember the story of the Uruguayan rugby team that flew? Yeah, come on. In the Andes Mountains and they crashed. It was a horrible story, but the survivors got together. They said, we're not all gonna make it. Those of us that die, the rest of you that are survivors, you need to eat us because that will help you live. And so it's the story about cannibalism and, and survival and it's really scary Um, but I really was into that. And as like a, I don't know, as a a young kid, it really stuck with me. And then later as a, as a Christian, as a person growing up reading the Bible, I I realized Jesus had a cannibal moment too. Like Jesus had this cannibal time where he told people in a sermon, like, this is crazy. He said, Hey, if you really want to be like in with me, if you really want to have eternal life, you can't just eat this like natural bread. You've actually got to eat the spiritual bread. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, you might think, well, yeah, I mean, we know you're going to say this is metaphorical or whatever, but the people at this time, they actually thought, a lot of them actually thought he's serious, he's dead serious, because I'm sure he said it with a straight face and I'll explain this and they're like arguing about it. And so we're going to talk about this cannibal moment that Jesus had. But first, I want to give a little bit of backstory of where this takes place and what Jesus is describing and kind of set up a little bit of theology of what we're talking about today as we talk about the church and moving from being just a fan of Jesus to becoming a follower of Jesus. Moving from the crowd that observes Jesus into the church that participates with Jesus and what he wants to do. In John chapter six, I want to encourage you to read that passage. It's a masterful presentation by Jesus' disciple, John. John was one of Jesus' disciples at the time uh, that Jesus was with John and his brother, James. Um, they were probably like between 14 and 18 years old. So we like to think of them as like full-grown men, but they're probably teenagers. Um, and, and John you know, was an observer and with Jesus as a disciple. And he tells us this account in John chapter six about Jesus kind of taking people through a progression and revealing himself and who he is and what he's really about. Uh, I wanna give you a homework assignment this week which is I want to ask you to read John chapter six this week. After you hear this message today, I think you're going to see it with fresh eyes. I'm going to give you a lens to be able to read that passage. Let me just uh, take one second and say, reading a verse of the day is a good start, but it's really not the way you're meant to read the, the scriptures, because it's important to have the context of what's going on. What is the story? What is the backdrop? And then when you encounter things you don't understand, instead of being like, oh, I don't understand, so I'll just ignore it, ask somebody that might know the answer, because You're going to find a rich revelation and relationship with God through the scriptures if you'll read the scriptures as they were intended to be read. You know what I'm saying? Like you wouldn't go to a chef and say, I wouldn't go to Jamie Oliver and be like, Jamie, uh, we made your food and it was disgusting. He goes, "Well, well, did you follow the recipe according to what I wrote down? Well, no, I read one line of it. I read recipe of the day. I read one snippet of it. And therefore you're invalidated as a master chef. no we would understand that you have to go to the recipe as it was created and designed by the original chef. Come on. So when we talk about the Bible, a lot of people are like really put off the things in the Bible because they don't understand the context, the revelation, and the overarching theme in the story. And I mean, I could talk about this all day, but I'm not going to, but we need to read the Bible in context. So read John chapter six, because I think it's going to really open, I'm going to open your eyes today, I believe um to what is actually taking place in this passage of scripture. So, John chapter 6 is an interesting chapter. Jesus it says he goes from some place and he goes out to the wilderness and he's talking to his disciples and a huge crowd of people. A bunch of people are going to see Jesus. Now you got to know that at this time Jesus is healing people, he's raising people from the dead, he's doing miracles and he's saying really countercultural, pretty cool stuff. He's throwing shade at the Pharisees and religious leaders. And, and there's all this buzz uh, about Jesus. There's all this hype about Jesus. And so crowds are coming like, what's going on? Like flocking to see him. They want to get a piece of him. Like, what's, gonna, what's he going to say today? What's going to happen? And so this crowd comes and they're, they're all observing Jesus and listening to him teach this message. And Jesus really loves people. He realizes, hey, you know, we're, we're way far away. There's no Chick-fil-A here. He says to his disciples, guys, feed these people. And they're like, what do you, what do you mean? And he's like, you feed them give them something to eat. And they're like, oh, snap. Well, then they end up bringing Jesus somebody's lunch, right? Five loaves and three fish or whatever it was, some bread and some fish. And Jesus does the miracle of multiplication. So how many of you know this story where Jesus feeds the the multitude? So there's 5,000 men, probably up to 20,000 people with men, women, and children. They're handing Jesus this food. He's breaking it. He hands it back and they end up feeding this multitude. And that's like pretty amazing. And everybody gets really excited about this because who doesn't like free food? Now, the, what's interesting is that you'd think, okay, we observed this amazing miracle, so we should probably listen to what this guy says. But actually, what people end up really caring about from this story, what, what, when, when they're actually there, they're like, wow, if we follow him around, like he'll feed us free lunch all the time. This is awesome. We could just like hang out and act like beatniks and listen to philosophy and snap our fingers, and he'll just make the bread and make it rain. You know what I mean? <laughs> and they remembered back to their history where when the people of Israel were out in the wilderness and they were led by Moses and God was giving them manna and they were fed and they were like this provision and, and bread represents kind of their natural needs. Like how many of you, let's put it in our context. Although, come on, we like ourselves some bread. Don't get me wrong. Hello, come on, or fries. That's like bread for adults. You know what I mean? Like, um, maybe not. But, but like when you go to uh, Red Lobster, which I don't, but I like their rolls, those cheddar cheese or cheddar bay biscuits or whatever. Come on, the glory of God in a piece of bread right there. I'm pretty sure that's what Jesus made when he was making bread, you know. (laughs) That's good stuff right there. I just go in there, have some bread. You know, I changed my mind. I'm actually gonna go to Red Robin for fries. But can I have some of that bread to go, please? Thanks. Um, (laughs) I got distracted, sorry. It is the second service. They were like interested in the bread, uh, but bread for us in our context represents provision. It represents what you need to to operate, what you need to, to live. So what if somebody was like, I'm going to give everyone $2,000 or $3,000 a month. All you have to do is hang out with me. We'd be like, I guess I could hang out with this club. This is pretty cool, right? Because you're being provided for. So that's what's happening here. So Jesus does this miracle. He multiplies bread and people are pretty excited about it. But then Jesus leaves and he was always doing this, which is interesting because if you're trying to build a following, if you're trying to create a religion, if you're trying to create some kind of a movement you try to gather people, not disperse them. And if you gather them, you don't leave them. You, you stick with them and you, you, you build it up, right? That's how it works. But Jesus doesn't do that. He actually leaves. And then in John chapter six, you'll see that he goes, he says, hey, disciples, you guys cross the lake. They're like, well, why? You guys go do that. They end up getting stuck in the storm. This is where Jesus walks on water and he reveals himself at a deeper level to his disciples. He says, I am is here. He's, repre- he's revealing himself as God to his disciples. And they're like, wow, it says they worshiped him. Then Jesus crosses the lake. He goes to a place called Capernaum. In Capernaum is a synagogue. And Mark and I actually got to stand in that synagogue, which is crazy. It's not huge. It's maybe about the size of the stage down here, a little bit wider, but it's not longer than this, right? Pretty pretty much this big. Probably fit 150, 200 people in it. And Jesus is, is preaching a message at the synagogue, and he's done the miracle of the bread. He's just walked on water. People have now flocked to him. They're, they're filling this room, they're in this place in Capernaum. And this is where Jesus goes all cannibal. This is where he says something shocking and disturbing, and he begins to disperse the crowd. In fact, after he preaches this message, that we find out that many of his disciples departed, it means they were like, I'm out, peace, deuces, I'm out, right? I'm gone. This is what Jesus says, though. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live. And everybody's like, sweet. This is a nice message about bread. I love bread. Bread's good. And then he says, is my flesh. What? This is where everybody excuse me, this is where everybody stops playing angry birds in church and looks up. <laughs> you hear what he just said? <laughs> My dad, he's a preacher. My dad's been preaching for 30 something years, pastoring in Medford. And every once in a while, he just drop a bad word. Seriously, it's true, huh? Anybody that went to Joy Medford, he just cussed. We're like, dad, you can't do that. And just keep him awake. My dad says he preaches. My dad said he, he preaches like a cross-eyed javelin thrower. Not going to set any records, but he's going to keep the crowd awake. (laughs) So Jesus has a cross-eyed javelin moment. He says, you got to eat my flesh. And they're like, excuse me? Oh, were you saying fresh? Eat fresh? No, eat my flesh. (laughs) How many of you know flesh is the grossest word also that we have? I don't know what it is in Greek or Aramaic or Hebrew, whatever he's speaking, but in English, it sounds like what it is. Flesh. When I got a shot, they put it in my flesh, you know? <laughs> then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. Because they're like, he didn't say fresh, he said flesh. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said, again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, blood, Well, <laughs> flesh is this one thing, but now we're talking about blood. You cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day for my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living father who sent me in the same way. Anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Now, this is the moment where things get real. So people start arguing. We actually find out a bunch of the disciples are like, you know what? We were really, it was cool when the Cheddar Bay biscuits were coming down. Now that we're talking about cannibalism and drinking blood and all this weird stuff and resurrection and like, this is getting weird. We're out because now it just gets got real. And, it, and, and we find out that Jesus turns to his disciples, to some of the ones that were there. And Peter's one of them. He says, hey, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, nah. He says, who, where will we go? Because you alone have the words of life. And we find out something about the ministry of Jesus that is still going on today and is still happening right now, even as we speak right here in this very moment, that Jesus is not looking for crowds. He's looking to call people out to fully partaking, fully investing, fully buying in, going the distance. He even goes so far as to say, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, Jesus is saying something here that is literally true. But he's not speaking literalistically. So let's talk about how we look at some passages like this and get our minds wrapped around it. Jesus wasn't saying, You got to take a bite out of my arm, and that's how you get eternal life. And they didn't actually, they, even though people were confused and talking about this, they didn't actually maybe necessarily think, even his disciples, they never, we never see them eat Jesus, right? That doesn't happen. What we find out is that Jesus is, what he's really talking about here, is that you have to like fully take in his body that's gonna be broken. He gives himself at the cross. We're gonna look at that in a second. He sheds his blood. And to really be all in with Jesus, like you have to like go to that level of depth, like really take him in. So it's it's metaphorical in some ways. In the same way, if I say to you, hey, I flew to the, I was late to work. And so I flew to the office yesterday. I mean, I was flying to get there. How many of you wouldn't think I was like, what do I mean? What do I mean? Going fast, right? Driving fast, right? I was flying to work, so we we have an understanding that you can say something that's literally true. But I was literally flying. I was literally moving fast, but I'm using figurative language. Jesus is talking about going all in. You've gotta, you gotta, you can't just be here for the bread, the natural bread. What I can do to bless you, if you think like a consumer. If you're just one of the crowd that just is excited about bread, but the minute that things go a little deeper and we begin to talk about moving from fan to follower, you split, that's not gonna work. There's not eternal life in that. It's not about being part of the crowd. It's about being called out into the church. See, the church means called out. It means there's a group, there's a crowd, there's a, there's a bunch of people. And even today in the modern world, Jesus has hundreds and hundreds of millions of fans, but he's not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. There's a lot of people that are in the crowd, even that sit in church. Even today, there's people that are in the crowd, happy to observe, happy to get bread, happy to consume even a religious teaching and laugh a little bit about a pastor who's overweight and wears skinny jeans. Happy to come to Joy Church and sing some songs and eat some donuts and get a little bit of a religious fix. But when it comes down to it, you're not really all in. You're not really eating his flesh, drinking his blood. It hasn't gone to the depth of your heart and your soul. Jesus isn't really... the the fulfillment and the satisfaction of your life. He's not the thing. And so this thing that Jesus is doing in John six is kind of powerful because it's when you actually walk through it, you realize, man, am I part of the crowd that is just in it for the bread? Or am I going to be here with Jesus when everybody else departs? Because I want his words of life that I recognize that, yeah, he can feed me bread and that'll keep me alive for a period of time. But if I don't catch who he is and and what he really is, and who he really is, and what he really means. I'm gonna miss out on that bread that would feed me forever. See, Jesus talks about this different times. In John chapter four, he talks to a woman at a well. He says, hey, you drink this water, you're gonna get thirsty again. But if you drink the living water that I will give you, you'll never thirst again. And she's like, where do I get this water? He's like, hey, it's me, I'm the Messiah. Like, I'm gonna give you that living water. And she embraces Christ. She gets that revelation of Jesus and goes all in, and, and her soul is satisfied and fulfilled. Come on, these people that that were excited to get loaves of bread and some fish from Jesus, he's saying that that was not the whole thing. He could have just gotten bigger crowds by just continuing to make bread, but he says, actually, I'm gonna separate myself because the real bread I wanna give you is me. The real fulfillment, the real satisfaction, the real eternal life is me. And so this is where it got real and many people fled from Jesus. Listen, in church, you know when it gets real? It gets real when it's not just all about you and fulfilling and satisfying your needs. Come on, somebody. You know, a lot of times when I come to church, like my needs don't get met, but I don't leave because I'm not here for my needs to get met. I'm here because I need Jesus and I need you and you need me. And what we're doing together matters beyond just the flesh level. Come on, just the natural level, just the bread level. So Joy Church will never be a church that's just about giving people bread because my goal is not just to have the biggest church. We wanna have big crowds, because out of those big crowds, we want to call people to really follow Jesus and move into that level of discipleship in the church to really know Jesus. Come on. So there's always been crowds, you know, even at the crucifixion of Jesus, like this blows my mind. I was reading these passages when it talks about Jesus being crucified. Go ahead and put John chapter 19 up on the the screen where Pilate turns Jesus over to be crucified. And it talks about how, you know, they take him to the place of the skull. Uh, They nail him to the cross. And go to the next uh, slide. But then it says, Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified, listen to this right here, was near the city. How many of you, when you think about the crucifixion, you have kind of a a precious moments, you know, picture Bible version of the cross where it's like three crosses on a green hill. And there's like seven people, you know, and there's a Roman soldier there. And Jesus has a small trickle of blood and he has like surfer hair and a loincloth and he's hanging on the cross, and he sort of has a slight smile on his face like, it hurts, but I love people. (laughs) That's not it. Let's go to the more advanced adult version of this, the, the real version, the historical version, which is the fact that Rome was a brutal empire. They ruled by fear, and so what they would do in crucifixion is they'd put you as close to the city where as many people as possible would go by. They would strip you naked, or if you're from the South, naked, Whichever one, but same result, right? Some people in Thurston say naked too, you know. <laughs> Come on, Thurston, where are you at? Crick, root, naked. naked. Um, they would strip you down. Jesus was a, a ragged wreck. He'd been beaten to a, an inch of his life. They nail him to a cross and they strip you naked and they put you here in a humiliating position where people will see you. Uh, it was near the city and it says they wrote the sign, you know, he's the king of the Jews um, they wrote it in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. Why would they write a sign that people could read unless there were a lot of people around? So what we actually know about the real historical crucifixion is that it wasn't on a hill somewhere. Um, it was near this place called Golgotha, but it, was, but it was actually at an intersection of a road right outside of the city. Now, I want to show you guys a picture. This is from Jerusalem. So Mark and I had an opportunity to go there uh, earlier this year and Right to uh, your, your left. Yeah, let me get my left and right done. To your left is, the, is Golgotha, what they call the place of the skull. Now, we don't know exactly where Jesus was crucified, but it was probably here or somewhere like this. Now, when you look at that, how many of you think, wow, that's so amazing. It just blows my mind. It looks so religious and it's a bus depot. But what you don't see here is there's, the wall of Jerusalem is right, right to your right. And there's a gate right there. And this is a major road coming into the city and next to the city. And this was a, a place of crucifixion. And so right here and right next to it is this rock that looks like a skull. It was a rock quarry. So they think it's a pretty good chance this was actually Golgotha, but at least it fits the bill. So when you start thinking about the crucifixion, eliminate the precious moments, it looks more like this. Um, it's a place of, of people. It's a place where there's motion and movement and people around. So here's where Jesus is crucified. And, and there's not just like 10 people. It actually says in, in Luke twenty three thirty five, the crowd watched, the crowd The crowd. Some of the same people that were there excited about bread and that were there saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king is here when he entered Jerusalem are now part of this crowd saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And they're there. This crowd of people is watching and observing. There's all kinds of people around. And the leaders are saying, Hey, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. So they're mocking and they're criticizing. But what blows my mind is here's Jesus being crucified at kind of a busy intersection. I want you to imagine, like, how many of you go past the, uh, Delta highway, Beltline intersection at five o'clock, you know, so much traffic. I want you to imagine that right there in the middle, there's three people being crucified and there's crowds of people and tons of people are going by and seeing this and it's observed and it's right there. And as I was thinking about this, it blew my mind that so many people, crowds of people observe and we're right there when Jesus was giving his life, giving his body, his flesh, the bread, and his blood was being poured out for our sin At the actual moment of crucifixion, when Jesus was literally dying for the sins of the world, there were thousands, there were people there, crowds of people observing and watching that would never participate. Crowds of people that would see it, but never partake. Crowds of people that would watch and see, but it would never connect at a deep level of what was actually going on. Now, I do believe some of those crowds probably came to find Jesus at some point but it makes me think about today, the fact that you can be an observer, you can be part of the crowd and in it for the bread and miss the life. You can literally watch Jesus die. We like to think, oh, if I was there, it'd be different, but would it? You see, just like we're kind of obsessed with entertainment and fulfilling whatever fancy we've got, whether, you know, whatever it may be, we're just put kind of putting ourselves first and living our life for our own pleasures and desires. Just like it was, it, it's like that now, it was like that then. And a lot of people were in it for the bread, just what they could get out of Jesus, but they weren't really in it for what they could be a part of with Jesus, a participator. And so Jesus had very few that were really participating with him. In fact, I mean, really none in that moment when he gave his life. But this is what he meant when he said, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Like you've got to partake. You have to be with me in that moment. Like, and here's a big question for us today for each of us to answer. You don't have to answer it to me, but we have to answer it to ourselves in our own heart and answer it to God. Am I a part of the crowd around Jesus? Or am I part of his church and partaking of Jesus? Am I part of the group? Am I part of the fan club? Am I like pro-Jesus? Maybe you're even aggressive on Twitter against all the people that think differently than you know Jesus would think today. It's a little bit of irony went over some people's (laughs) heads. You might think, wow, like Jesus and I are like really tight. Well, are you? Are you like in with Jesus or have you really partaken or are you part of the crowd and like you're a fan and when there's bread, it's great. But when it gets a little bit more serious, you're out. Even to come to church and observe and watch other people really know Jesus and love Jesus and participate with Jesus is not enough. Come on. I think God's speaking to some people today, speaking to me, speaking to my heart. I want to be with Jesus and participate. I want to I want to eat and drink. I don't want to just be an observer. Are you part of the crowd or are you all in with Jesus? Because when it comes to us, when it comes to the church and what Jesus is doing in this time, in this day and age, he's looking for people to go all in, not spectators, participators, not in the stands, on the field, in the game. So how do we do that, guys? How do we move from consumers in the crowd to contributors in the church? How do we move from the crowd that's excited to get the, the, the rolls and the fish to the people that are there with Jesus when everybody else splits. How do we do that? So I want to tell you three moves to make today. Three moves to make. Number one, we need to move from being a spectator to a participant when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. To really have a real relationship with Jesus. Like for me, I don't come to church to get something out of it. And I don't even come to church because I am the pastor and, I'm a, and I have a salary to be the pastor of the church. I don't, that's not why. I, you couldn't keep me out of church because I need to be in church, because I'm a follower of Jesus. And this is where he told me to be. Come on. I have a relationship with Jesus. And that real authentic relationship is the driving, motivating force in my life and my actions and my decisions. And so because I'm not spectating Jesus, it's not like, well, yeah, other people have a relationship with Jesus. And yet for a lot of Christians, they sort of get a contact high from other people's relationships with Jesus. And the reality is that is not going to sustain you through the dark moments of life when it gets real, is it? You gotta be all in. It's like, I can't watch love stories, watch a bunch of sappy movies and be like, oh, Bethany, I feel sort of like sentimental towards you. Like real love is sort of forged in the fire of relationship where where it's, it's real. Like she's a real person. I'm a real person. And we have to work stuff out day to day. Can't get a contact high off somebody else's romance and make it in a marriage. Come on. And yet how many people are like here, even today, like observing Jesus, like watching, that's awesome. Hey, where's the bread? Toss me one, brah. Here's a loaf, you know? And I consume, consume religious teaching, but I'm I'm not really in, I'm just watching, I'm observing, I'm, in a, I'm attending, checking it out. It's fine to check it out. Like if you're here today and you're new, you're like, oh my gosh, what's he gonna ask me to do today? Nothing. Well, something, but not that much. No, I'm talking about for those of us that are like saying, hey, I want to follow Jesus. Like this is, he's my Lord and Savior. Like I'm, a, I'm in, I'm a Christian. You know, if you're a Christian, are you in or are you part of the crowd? So moving from spectator to participator in relationship with Jesus, really, really core thing is just every day, wake up, read the Bible, not like one verse, but like in context, read some chapters and then talk to God in prayer and just be honest and raw in your prayer with God. And then when you pull on that string, wait until the string pulls back because he will like have a real relationship with Jesus. That's simple, do that. And as God speaks to you through his word and he speaks to you in prayer, in all the different ways he speaks, you go, am I gonna hear an audible voice? Maybe, but probably not, but he'll speak to you and you'll learn, you'll journey with God, but just make it real, like actually give it some time on a daily basis to build that relationship. So move from being a spectator, participant when it comes to a real relationship with Jesus. Number two, move out of the crowd, move from being a spectator. When it comes to your participation in church, let me just give you some categories. Being here on a Sunday. Everybody pat yourself on the back. You're like, I'm doing it. Come on. Praise God. That's right. Being in church. Come on. You know me. Church right here. Being in church is a spiritual discipline. There's a million other things you could do, but you shouldn't. You should be in church. It's a value. It will change your life. Don't at me. You know, the people that you want to be like, the destinies that you want to emulate, the kind of people, they have a dedication to the house of God. They don't let anything else get in the way of being there. And I, I, don't, I could go off on this, I'm not, but it's a spiritual discipline to be here, to be here. Uh, and, and you know what? When you have a discipline, it leads to delight. Like when I was learning how to play the piano, before I could do the things I can do now on a piano, it was like not a delight. It was boring and it was annoying and it was irritating. But when I learned and I developed that, that ability, then all of a sudden there was passion and there was delight. And so for many people, you've never pushed through the discipline point in your relationship with even coming to church. And so it's never been a delight, but you're, you're almost there. You just need to be faithful, be committed, be, don't be a spectator, be a participator in church here, be a participator in worship. Like what we're doing up here when we sing and open our hearts to God and we're praying, don't, don't sit it out, be a part, right? Worship God, figure it out. You're like, well, what do I do? We'll learn, like, learn, read the Bible, ask people, like move towards it. Come on, there's this myth right now about, about everything. It's like, well, if it's not like immediately available to your brain at any moment, it must not be authentic or real, which is ridiculous. That's why we have to get educated in things. Even your relationship with God, like you need to learn and lean into it and grow in it. Come on. So if like right now, when you walk in, you're like, well, I don't, am not really like the kind of person that likes to sing. Well, I, neither am I. I don't like to sing in public either. Well, Pastor Jake, you were a worship pastor. Of course you like to sing in public. No, I hate it. It's all my heart. You can ask my wife, I would be after services when I worship, she'd be like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't like this. Like, it's just uncomfortable to me. So why did I do it? Because I understood the power of the vulnerability of singing and why God asks to be worshiped that way. So I learned that it was a learned habit and it released a result in my life. Just in the same way you can learn a skill and open up a new thing. So this idea that everything has to be like on the surface level as a Christian is ridiculous. It's absurd. We don't believe that about anything else in life. So the fact that you don't feel it immediately doesn't mean it's not real or relevant. Okay worshiping, community, like participate in the community of the church. When somebody says, what church do you go to? That's kind of a bad way to put it, isn't it? Because going somewhere means you go there and then you leave. Well, that's not really what the church is. You don't really go to it. You should like live in it. So we're not going to live in the movie theater unless we got really a lot of money and we could pay for (laughs) tickets for every movie. No, we're not going to do that. But what we're saying is we operate within the context of community. I don't go to church. We are the church and we operate as the church, but that means you got to be a part in community. Joy Group's are not something we do because you're supposed to do small groups as a church. We do them because we find there to be spiritual growth and life and health in community. So we need to move into participation in there. We need to move into participation in the area of serving. Serving. What do I mean by serving? I mean, volunteering, serving in the nursery, being an usher, setting up and tearing down, uh, helping when we go on projects. We have serve day this week at Shasta Middle School. Like when the church gets mobilized, when it's time to like get up and do something, every Christian should be a servant. There is no such thing as a Christian who's not a servant. Jesus was a servant. He said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If the commander in chief is a servant, then what are we? Well, Pastor Drake, you're the pastor. You don't need to serve. Dang straight, I need to serve. Come on. I still serve, guys. And you go, well, you preach on Sunday, that's how you serve. No, sometimes I actually do some stuff, like go to Skate World and move heavy stuff and get a tetanus shot. <laughs> we all serve. Why? Because we're all part of the family. If you're not part of the family, don't serve. If you're part of the family, don't not serve. Penny, she's four years old, but she has jobs. She doesn't do them, <laughs> it's a fight but she has jobs because she's part of the family. Serving, giving. Scripture says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My wife and I, we said, hey, we want our treasure to be in the kingdom of God, the house of God, the purposes of God. Therefore we give. You go, well, you're the pastor. So when you talk about giving, you're going to benefit from this. No, my salary is set by our overseers and by our, our financial team. So if you guys got ridiculously over the top generous and unlocked in your spirit to be a giver, it doesn't affect me other than the fact that we're going to do more amazing stuff for God and for this community if we're all generous. But let me tell you the percentage of servants and and givers that we need to have in our house, 100%. I want you to imagine if if you were talking to Coach Mario Cristobal, all of us Duck fans, and he said, well, you know, realistically, 60% winning streak, that'd be great if we could just win six out of our 10 games. We'd be like, no, we want 100% wins. Come on. We play to win every time. So when it comes to following Jesus, I'm playing for every one of you to win in every area of life. I'm I'm believing and pressing for every one of us to be fully in with Jesus, fully committed to serving, fully committed to giving, fully following Jesus, fully pursuing Jesus and fully making an impact 100% in our community, in our city. So we need to move from being spectators when it comes to your participation in church. Church is not a club. It's not a place you go. We are the church and we're called to make a difference in the world. Come on. If you're with Jesus, he came to do something here on this planet. This is the institution that's gonna change the world. We get to to participate with Jesus and what he wants to do. And then lastly, we need to move from being a spectator when it comes to our participation in the mission of Jesus. Very simply to say that we're here to make disciples, to love God, love people, make disciples. Meaning what? We're asking people to put their faith and trust in Jesus and follow Jesus and, and give their life to him. Help them follow Jesus. That's every one of us needs to take on that responsibility as a follower of Jesus. Come on, you feeling good today? How many of you are like, Yeah, I want to go all in, man. I'm not just here for the biscuits. I want Jesus. Like, I want it all. Listen, today, if you're here, why don't we go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes? If you're here today and you're like, Pastor Jake, I don't have a real authentic relationship with Jesus right now. But as you've been speaking and talking, I've been thinking, I want that. I, I want the real thing. I want to know Jesus. And I don't want to just be part of the crowd just seeing what I can get out of him. But I want to like, I want to know him in a real way. And the amazing thing that I didn't mention here is that yeah, we're not just consumers when it comes to Jesus, but you will never ever outgive, outserve, or outlove Jesus. When you give him your life, he gives you his life. And let me tell you, it's in our benefit <laughs> so much. So if you're here today and you're like, Pastor Jake, I want to follow Jesus for real would you just raise your hand where I can see? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on. That's awesome. Come on. Come on. Come on. More people today. That's awesome. I want Jesus for real. Not like fake, not religion, not hypocrisy. Like I want to serve him. It doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean everything's perfect in your life. It just means you have hope and you're connected to God. You're made right with God by your faith and trust in Jesus. He gave his life for you. So come on. Anybody else in this room today? I want to follow Jesus. All right, everybody that raised your hand and everybody else, let's pray this prayer and let's pray it and let's mean it. Jesus, I give you my life, every part of me, all the good, all the bad, all my success and all my failures. I confess my sins to you. I know I haven't lived up to your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me. I give you my life today and I invite you to be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.